All right, we are in John 10 this morning, and so we're going to be reading in verse, uh, starting in verse 22 and going through the end of the chapter. But first, I want to start off by just giving a quick update. The last time I was here, um, I let you all know that um, people ask how you're doing with, um, and for those that don't know, um, I was diagnosed with colon cancer in November of 21, and um, and I said, well, I have a, an appointment in February, and I'll know then. And so uh, the praise God, the reports all came back that there was no signs uh, of anything uh, showing back up. So um, in August, we'll go back and we'll do that all again. But we just want to thank you all so much for your prayers. Um, and for those that don't recognize me, I also shaved since then as well. So um, if that's taking you a minute to place who I am, that's, that's what the deal is. But my wife is very thankful I shaved. Uh, so we are very excited to be here this morning, thankful for the partnership that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. But, uh, you know, as I, I was reading through this passage and I was, I was thinking about what is a good way to kind of paint the picture of what's going on here um, as John is writing about the events, as Jesus is about ready to have this interaction with um, some more Jews that are trying to trap him. Um, I had something happen to me today or this weekend that um, I had not planned on, but it really illustrated well um, what the kind of the the tone that I that I was hoping to set. And so I don't know how many of you are, um, you know, uh, Eric talked about being anxious, but maybe fearful. And fear can be. Um, something that um, can override us. But sometimes fear, it, it leads to being scared, but sometimes people like that. Sometimes people like being scared. They like the adventure of it. Um, and there's all those bad, bad, cheesy novels and rom-coms of, you know, um, let's, we're lost, but let's get lost together. Okay, so, but we're not talking about that kind of being lost. We're talking about being lost, being scared, being terrified. Um, and that is really um, what I, I want you to understand is what is going on in the hearts of the people and can happen to us as well. And often we want to find a place where we feel safe. We, we want to know what is going on. We want to be in control. We want to know exactly what is happening. And so Friday I had an engagement in normal and I found myself looking out the window and seeing amazing snow gathering on my car. And I had to be back at the church. We had a trivia night, and I had a lot of work still to do. And so I was noticing that the snow was that kind that, you know, as a kid that you couldn't wait to have that was thick. It was perfect for packing snowballs, and you could just, you know, really do some damage with them, and they would hold together. And so I wasn't really worried about the road so much because I figured it had been warm enough. And so I jumped on Interstate 39, and I'm driving along, and all of a sudden, I'm watching my, my windshield, and um, I can see clearly where I'm going, and there's, you know, semis bearing down, and all of a sudden, my windshield wipers are gone, and um, all I can see is snow. And so I look at my um, side mirror, and there's my driver's side windshield wiper, and it's all the way over here. And I'm reminded, reminded of all these mail, mailings that I've been getting that there's a recall on windshield wipers on my car. But currently, they can't do anything about it. So I'm sorry for the extra noise. 
this mic loves to walk off my ears. They are very big. Um, so I apologize for that. But, and so um, I'm trying to figure out what to do. I call a friend of mine that's a mechanic. Um, I pulled over to the side of the, I think I'm all the way over to the side of the road. I can't see anything. I've got to put the windows down and kind of look out. And he was like, oh, buddy, you're in trouble. Like, they're, it's not only is there a recall on these, like, they're, it's not fixable. Um, so I'm trying to decide what to do. And there's another one more exit to get back on North Normal. And I grew up in Normal, so I know where I'm at. But I'm using the, the side of the road. I'm using that as my guide to get off of the interstate because semis just seem like they're going faster and faster and faster the longer that I'm there. And so as I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out what to do, I'm recreating Dumb and Dumber, and I'm driving with my head out the window, and I don't have a hat on or anything, and it's just snow and buckets, and I'm, I'm on the, you know, da, 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 and I get closer and closer, and all of a sudden I'm in the grass. And I'm like, oh, now I need to get over. Now I'm on, I'm on the off-ramp. And so as I get on the off-ramp, all of a sudden, even though I grew up, even though I knew where I was, I was very disoriented on where I was. I knew Nussbaum was around here somewhere, but I couldn't see real well. And I'm trying to get to a, somewhere where I can pull into a parking lot and just get off the road. And then hopefully a family member of mine living in normal would be able to give me a ride back. And there were all these signs that kept saying, no parking on the side of the road, no parking on the side of the road. No, and then, you know, I should have remembered that, oh, because of Rivian, there was this problem with all these semis that would just park all the way um, down the road there. And so they put all these signs up to remind semis not to park there. And so rather than reading the signs and following that, I was, had my head out the window and was really concerned about where I was, where I was going to be in trouble. I started getting scared and anxious Thankfully, I was able to pull into a building and go get my car the next day after the mini storm was over when it was 50 degrees and drive my car back home. But it's, it's in that sort of disorientation that Jesus encounters um, these people that are talking with him. And the title of this morning's message is Jesus is the Messiah. And the big idea is that, that I, want, I want us to understand is that Jesus is the Messiah who was sent from the Father. And so those that follow him will eternally be secure in the Father's hands forever. They are his sheep. And so um, as, we, as we look to this passage, um, I'd like for us to read together John 10. And um, we'll begin in verse 22. Then the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Jesus was walking in the, in the temple in Solomon's Colonnade. The Jews surrounded him and asked, How long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're a Messiah, tell us plainly. I did tell you, and you don't believe, Jesus answered them. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not, my, not, not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Again, the Jews picked up rocks and to stone him. Jesus replied, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? We aren't stoning you for a good work, the Jews answered, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Isn't it written in your law, I said you are God's? 
If he called those whom the word of God came to gods, and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say that you are blaspheming to the one that the Father set apart and sent into the world because I said I am the Son of God? If I am not doing my Father's works, don't believe me. But if I am doing them and you don't believe me, believe the works. This way you will know and understand that the Father is in me and I in the Father. Then they were trying again to seize him, but he eluded their grasp. So he departed again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing earlier and remained there. Many came to him and said, John never did a sign, but everything John said about this man was true, and many believed him there. So what's happening at this time and place um, in this encounter, as you guys talked about last week with Jesus being the shepherd, is that um, Hanukkah is being celebrated. Okay, so it's a festival of lights. The last time I was here, we talked about the festival of tents. And, you know, we talked about like how at some time there would be God's spirit would come on all people, right? And Jesus picked just the right time to make this declaration. And so this is another festival that they have, but this is not one that they were required to go to, but it was one that they valued so much because it was the last time that God showed up to help the Jews and do something miraculous. And it was under the leadership of Judas um, Maccabees who put together a group of people to revolt against um, Antichus, um, who was um, a a Greek that went into the temple and sacrificed pigs in the temple. And so that really infuriated the Jews. And so um, this Maccabean revolution um, began where they came in they took back over the temple and they cleansed the temple because this person had the audacity um, to desecrate God's temple. And God helped them with that. And so they've always held on to that as something very important in their history. And so many of you will see the menorah. You'll hear um, uh, Jews talk about the festival of lights. That's what this is about. This is about what they're celebrating. This was not only the last time that they did that, but they also see that as this kind of foreshadowing of the Messiah has got to be coming. Okay, so this is the scene that's happening when Jesus is walking around. People are very um, excited about this. This is very important to them. But it's also something that they think about when they think about the Messiah. And so as we look at verse um, 22, we see that... um, through 24. It says, Then came the festival of dedication, which is Hanukkah, at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple courts, walking in Solomon's Columade. The Jews who were there gathered around, saying, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Now, this is interesting because a lot of scholars feel that the way that this was actually said is, Stop annoying us to Jesus. Like, you know, are you the Messiah or not? Like, let's just, let's just have it out. And because so many of them didn't agree with Jesus, they didn't like Jesus, they, you know, um, speaking plainly is a generous way, but it's probably more along the lines that they were annoyed with the fact that Jesus would never blatantly answer a question. He would just keep these things going in suspense. And so as we look at this, we're actually thinking about that Jesus 
did not ever use the term Messiah when he referred to himself in a large group like this for a very specific reason. Because in the Jewish mindset, they're looking for the next King David. They're looking for this military leader that's going to come in and is going to reestablish the Jews on earth as God's chosen people and as there's the height of that nobody will mess with and that God will fulfill his promise. Not understanding so much, as we talked about before, of things that were, that were talked about and prophesied of, whether it was the suffering servant or whether it was priests, like all these different things that all were talking about Jesus, the Son of God. They had in their mind which each one of these things were going to be, and they wanted a military leader. And so it was very tactful on Jesus' part not to call himself the Messiah in this large group of people because he didn't want people following him to revolt against Rome and establish it. Rather, he wanted to win the hearts of people because he had been set to restore mankind's relationship with God and to pay the penalty of sin, and only Jesus could do that. So let's see how Jesus responds to them in verse 25. I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you are not my sheep. Here we see Jesus didn't say, um, once again, the Messiah to them. But if you guys think about all that you've been through since you've been going through the book of John, I want you to think about some of the things that you've talked about or that's been referenced about Jesus. Living water, bread of life, light of the world, the good shepherd. For all Jews that grew up looking for the Messiah, those are all messianic type references and terms. And so even though he isn't saying the word Messiah, he is throwing out a lot of hints there. And that's why they're getting really annoyed at him. They're like, look, dude, are you the Messiah or not? And so um, Jesus continues to keep them looking at that. And so he says in verse um, uh, 27, uh, right before 27, going into 27. So Jesus tells them, hey, don't you know me because, or you don't know me because you're not my sheep, but my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. So Jesus not only um, says that he knows them and that they follow him, but he also says that they have eternal life and no one can snatch them out of his hand, nor can they snatch them out of the Father's hand, which there is no one greater than. So when it says that they, um, when, when Jesus is talking about this, they did not like that because when he says, um, as he's talking about himself, he, he's beginning to refer to himself as God. They picked up, because it says there in verse, um, in verse 30, I and the Father are one, and the Jews, Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. And so they see that Jesus is claiming to be deity, which is blasphemy, which the penalty for that was capital punishment, being stoned to death. And so the Jews see Jesus as somebody that's committing blasphemy, and now they've kind of trapped him. Now he said that he and the Father won. He's basically calling himself deity. And so Jesus responds to them by saying, I have shown you many good works from the Father. 
for which of these do you stone me? And they responded, we are not stoning you for any good works, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Now, Jesus, you, you learned last week, is the good shepherd. And he's just talked about that his sheep know his voice and he knows them and that they follow him and what the promise is for his sheep that follow him. And then he says that the father has given them to him. And so when they, they're going to stone him, he's like, okay, so for you know, which miracle, which sign, John likes to show a lot of signs that once again point to Christ as being the Messiah and being who he said he is, which of these things are, are you so upset that you're going to stone me about? You know, giving sight to the blind man, healing people, like which of these are? And so they're like, no, 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 no. That's not what we're stoning. We're stoning you because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And once again, our big idea is that Jesus is the Messiah sent from the Father, and those that follow him will be eternally secure in the Father's hand forever. They are his sheep. And so Jesus was sent by the Father as the Messiah. And so a lot of times you'll find in today's world, whether it's a Muslim you might be having a conversation with or someone else, they'll say, Jesus never claimed to be God. He didn't even claim to be, um, he never claimed to be deity. Right here. This is the time. If Jesus was ever going to make sure that people knew that he was not deity, he could have responded with, you're right, I am just a mere man. I'm not God. But you notice that he doesn't defend that. He asks for what good things that he has done are they going to stone him as he's been obedient to the Father. Okay, so this is one of those passages in your own personal life as you read the scriptures, as you give a defense for the hope that lies within you. This would have been a perfect time for Jesus to clarify that he is not deity. But yet, he accepts that part and asks the things that he's done that pointed to who, to who he is, why they would stone him for, for which of those things. And so that is really, really important. Um, uh, Tom Constable said about this um, interaction with the Jews something really beautiful and profound, and I would like to read it for you. Jesus' question confronting the Jews with um, incongruity of executing a man for restoring people who had suffered from handicaps. Jesus' miracles testified that he was doing divine work. However, the Jews did not think his did not think this through, but responded that it was not for his works, but for his words that they were going to kill him. The reader should realize by now that Jesus was exactly who he claimed to be, one with the Father and more than a mere mortal. So I want you to remember again, they said, you've committed blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And this is what Constable said. A man, speaking of Jesus, was not making himself out to be God. God had made himself into a man. John 1.1, 1, 1. right? John is laying out the case for who Jesus is. 
and why he should be followed. And Jesus is trying to continue to point back to the signs that these leaders, these experts of the Jewish law and those that grew up being passionate about being Jewish and being God's chosen people and knowing the promises of coming, they should have been putting together by the works that he's doing that it's clear that he's he's the Messiah. But it's his words that they're rejecting and they're blinded and they're refusing to see the signs. Jesus answered them, It is not written in your law, verse 34, I have said you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the father set apart at his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I'm God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the father is in me and I in the father. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. So the, the, the scripture um, that Jesus is referring to is when he says, referred to as God's, may seem really odd to us, but actually in Psalm 86 and a couple other passages, that's how judges or people that were carrying out God's work referred to would be God's with a little g, okay? So Jesus is saying, so... Um, Jesus values scripture. So he says, so if scripture says that, and we're all in agreement with that, then why are you um, upset with me? Because, you know, if, because I said that I am God's son whom the Father has sent. So it's not blasphemy because he is deity and he is God's son. And if they would just look at the works that Jesus would, was doing, they would see all the messianic signs that were coming by. So one of the other things I want you to highlight is sometimes we look at Scripture as a chore. Oh, man, it's such a big book. It's so overwhelming. It's so intimidating. And we miss the beauty of God's Word. Jesus says right here, Scripture cannot be set aside. Jesus is pointing out how important Scripture is. Jesus is using Scripture to argue with them about them trying to argue with Jesus because they see themselves as experts and they're not trusting the words of Jesus. So Jesus is throwing it back in the face like, okay, so look at scripture. But also Jesus is validating the importance of all scripture. And in today's day and age where we want to throw apart the parts of scripture that are uncomfortable, that we don't like, we need to understand that God who sent Jesus as the Messiah, that Jesus himself values all scripture. That is really important, and it's easy to overlook that in this discourse, but I really want us to understand that this morning. That was something that I was so thankful to um, be spoken to as I was studying for this. Verse 40, let's continue to to read. Um, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him, they said, though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. So what they're referencing is John the Baptist. And by now, John the Baptist is dead. But he had been baptizing people, and he had been telling about the Messiah that was to come. 
He had been prophesying about this. And he baptized Jesus, if you remember. And so everything that John has said about Jesus has come true. So those people that had been in this place where John the Baptist was, they're like, John the Baptist didn't ever do any signs. And everything that he said about Jesus has come true. And so people begin to follow. But Jesus has now left Jerusalem, and he's in this place and has escaped once again when they try to take, trying to take his life because it was not the time yet for him to do that. So as we finish this passage, there, there's some, some parts of it that I think are really important for us to, to take away. One is John is continuing, as you continue to go through the book of John, you will see, he's continuing to build the case for who Jesus is. Okay, that is very important. Jesus being the Messiah is massive. <laughs> okay, so when you want to talk about messianic passages in the New Testament or, or when that is talked about, John 10, 22 through 42, that's your, that's your go-to for where John has laid out that Jesus is the Messiah. All right? And while people were looking for an earthly king, much like they did in the Old Testament when they didn't want God to be their king, but they wanted an earthly king like all the other countries had, they were missing the Messiah that was right in front of them because they didn't see the signs. They didn't see the works. They were driving in a snowstorm without windshield wipers, with their head out the window, trying to make their best guesses they could, but while doing so, feeling like they were the experts in the situation. Meanwhile, they were confused, distracted, and they did not know Christ's voice because they were not his sheep. One of the things that you will find over and over and over again in 22 through 42 is that Jesus is always doing the will of the Father. The Father has sent me, doing the Father's work, the works done in the Father's name, the works done for the Father, however your versions have them. So it's important for us to understand that if Jesus needed to be obedient to the Father and what he has to say, then that, that's important for us to, to stop and realize that. So that can make it really hard for us to understand how to do that in today's age. And maybe you're a new believer. And maybe there are parts of the Bible we could all admit that are confusing and intimidating until we're able to study them more and more. And God begins to help us to understand through the Holy Spirit that first of all, that those that put their faith in Christ have the Holy Spirit to guide them into all truth, to counsel them, to comfort them. But also, we have God's Word. And if Jesus valued Scripture, then there must be something to the fact that maybe the way we can not miss the signs that are around us and how we should be living and what we should be doing is to be in his word so that as his Holy Spirit guides us and we're in his word, we can know what the will of the Father is for us to do or how we should live as Christ's sheep because we will know his voice, as he said, for those that are his sheep. The other thing that is kind of where I, I want to spend the rest of the time is... Um, and I'm just going to, a dear friend of mine um, gave me some of his notes on this part, and he said, steal away. So 
You know, if you were to ever meet my friend from South Carolina, um, he knows I'm stealing away on this. This is just so beautiful. Um, but it's so important because as a pastor, I can tell you that this is a subject that many, many, many people struggle with. Once again, this is one to put down in your notes to come back when you are struggling with fear and anxiety about the lies that your own flesh or that Satan whispers in your ear. And that is that when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are in his hand and no one can pluck you out. And you're in the Father's hand, and there is no one greater than the Father's hand. And so this is um, how my friend challenged his church. And I mean, why screw this up? And so I'm just going to literally read it verbatim. If you don't remember anything else from this message, and I would say that again today, remember this. The question is not, can Christians lose their salvation The question is, can God lose one of his children? Let me just say that again. The question is not, can Christians lose their salvation? The question really is, can God lose one of his children? The obvious answer is no. Once again, Jesus says, My Father who has given them to me is greater than them all. No one, didn't say some, no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I honestly don't know how it could be any clearer than that. But if you don't want to take Jesus' words for it, then let's look at what Christ taught Paul and what Paul wrote in Romans. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We read this morning, Romans 8, 35 through 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things we are more and conquers through him who loved us. So before I finish reading this, I want right now in all of your minds, I want you to think about the thing for those people that are out here, because I know you're out here, because we're all human beings and we all have these lies that we listen to. And if you have listened to the lie that it's possible that maybe you didn't say the prayer quite right, that maybe you did this big sin that there is no way that God could forgive you and so you have lost your salvation, I want you to see if anything that you have done could fall into this category that Paul missed as the Holy Spirit gave him these words to write. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will ever will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Your salvation is not in you. Your salvation is not in your baptism. Your salvation is not in your attendance or lack of attendance at church. 
Your salvation is in Jesus Christ, who being God became a man to live a perfect life, to continue to fulfill the prophecy that God promised that one day there would be a resurrection lamb that would allow for us to become his children and to be called his very own. And we will be with him forever. And no one can pluck us out of Jesus's hands. And definitely no one can pluck us out of the father's hands because there is no one greater than the father who asked the son to come and to be our sacrifice for our sin. And I hope that that brings a little bit of relief. And in Mother's Day, which is such a great day to do this, We'll be in John 17, Lord willing, and we will hear this language once again where Jesus talks to the Father. It's a prayer, and it's called, the, it's called the high priestly prayer. And as he's praying, he's continuing to ask the Father to look at those that follow him as he looks at his own son. And that we as brothers and sisters in Christ would be together and that one day that we would be with him where he is. And that he, because of how much he loves us and because of all the work that Jesus had done as a man living a sinless life to be the sinless sacrifice. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And praise God, God raised him from the dead after the sacrifice for all mankind's sin for those that would trust in him. I just want to finish with a story this morning. In the 1990s in Florida, there was a 12-year-old. His name was Michael. He was snorkeling out behind his house. He was totally unaware that a huge alligator was bearing down on him. Neighbors spotted the gator and began yelling, but Michael couldn't hear them. Michael's mother came running out of the house, down to the lake's, lake's edge just in time to watch this huge alligator snap down on her son's head its teeth slashing a six-inch wound in his scalp. Miraculously, the boy's head came free, and he began to frantically swim to shore, but the alligator was after him. This time, the mother ran into the water to save her son, and as she reached out to grab her son's hand, the beast's huge jaw snapped down shut on the boy's legs. And what followed was a tug-of-war between a 100-pound mother and a 400-pound 11-foot alligator clutching her boy's hand in a death grip. She pulled with superhuman strength, and suddenly the alligator let go, and the mother drugged her son to safety. You see, Michael was saved from that incident with the alligator, and three months later, his wounds, they pretty much completely healed. He would show visitors these wounds. There's a spot where they had taken place where there were a few signs that were left with his brush of death. Some of the scars on his head, hair covered that up. Scars on his legs, socks had covered that up. But he proudly showed off three small scars on the back of his right hand that were put there by his mother's fingernails because she had literally drawn blood when she had pulled him from the jaws of death. It's a good story, right? But here's my question. If an earthly mother loves her child 
that much that she won't let go from a 400-pound, 11-foot alligator, do you honestly think after all that God promised to do in sending his son to be your sacrifice, to die for you, to promise that you would be sealed in him forever, do you honestly think that he is going to let you go? And the answer is no. So when that lie circles in your mind and you can't sleep at night, and when you come across a brother or sister that is in Christ, that is struggling with that, once again, Scripture's worth something. Go to John 10 and read about how those that are his sheep are in his hand because the Father has given to him, and no one can pluck them out of his hand. And no one can pluck them out of the Father's hand who is greater because the Father sent Jesus, who is our Messiah, that we can be eternally secure in the Father's hand forever. Would you pray with me? God, I just want to thank you for the time together this morning. I want to thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. And I want to thank you for the truth of your word. And Lord, we can try to rationalize and debate, but Father, humility calls us to accept you as Lord and to allow your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to live our lives, and to let your word, which is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, to be what guides us and directs us as we listen to the Holy Spirit, which you left us with. And Lord, we're just so thankful to be able to be together this morning to open your word and to be comforted by the promises of you, Jesus, our Messiah. Amen.